Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome to episode number five. In this episode, we will be talking all about vowel teams and syllables. And these are two big mama topics that are so incredibly important, yet I don't want this episode to be like an hour long talking about vowel teams and syllables. So I'm gonna try my best to give you the big, big ideas, the big things that you need to know in order to teach both of these. But remember, if you're like, uh, hello, you didn't answer this question, you can always email those to me theprimarygal at gmail.com and I'll add those to the Q&A episode when we're all finished. Let's first begin by talking a little bit about vowel teams. While some of those early blends and diagraphs and even just letters like C and S and K can have multiple sounds, things like that, overall our students pretty well understand those once we teach them, show the rule that goes with that particular phoneme and grapheme, and they do okay. But vowel teams are very tricky. That's where, in my mind, spelling gets very complicated very quickly. So my first thing for you to know, or my first tip for you, is to download a free spelling rule book that I'm gonna include in the show notes. Now, this rule book will be ever-changing and evolving as I learn new spelling rules, as I maybe venture outside long and short vowels. That's where I'm gonna start. But I have a tendency to think these big things and want to do these really big things. And, you know, there just aren't enough hours in a day to make that all happen. So I'm gonna start with short and long vowels and the rules around those. But in time, I hope to expand that. I don't wanna tell you when, I don't want to And I sure don't want to tell you what will be included later because it's a work in progress. So I would encourage you to go download that and use it as a guide for yourself, for other adults that you work with, um, anybody that might need access to some of that information so that they can help your students understand and grow in those areas of different vowel teams. When do we use this? When do we use that? What are the rules that pertain to that? And I hope that that guide will help you, but I'll be honest, I made it for myself because I need that as well. I also left some blank space in the rule book so that if you see or encounter or have a question or a thought about a particular vowel team, you could jot down some notes. That way, um, I mean, I feel like we're always growing and learning. And so I am including every rule that I can possibly think of, but I don't want to say that I have every single scenario ever. And so I left some room for you to add some of those things in time as you encounter various spelling rules. So tip number one, go to the show notes after you finish this or hit pause now, go download that so that you have that as a reference because many, many adults that your students will be encountering need that reference. 
Um, for example, um, one of the assistants in my room a while back was in the room. They have lunch while I'm having my one o'clock group. And I was talking, you know, with my kids. Okay, we have, I, if I remember right, it was like OA and OE as our vowel sounds. And I said, how do I know if I should use OA or should I use OE in a word? And so then I noticed one of my assistants is looking at me really funny. And I'm like, do you need me? You know, kind of like, you could stop looking at me. This is getting awkward. And she says, no, like, go on. I, I want to hear the answer. I don't know the answer. And so then later she said, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to sound like dumb or, you know, butt into your group. She said, but when I was in school, we didn't learn phonics. She said, we memorized words. We were told these are the spelling words or these were our sight words. She said, we didn't learn phonics. And so I think it's important to realize that education goes in trends. And so some people who work with your students might have a good understanding of phonics and some people might not. And that's not because they were poor students. That's not because they didn't listen, but that just wasn't the trend at the time. So we all need something in writing to help us quickly understand some of those rules with vowel teams. My second tip is to start with the most common and work your way to less common spellings of various vowel sounds. So for my students, I start, even when we're just working on beginning blends and beginning diagraphs, we also work on magic E words. And I do that because otherwise, a lot of beginning blends or beginning diagraph words are too complicated for them to spell. Sure, it might have a CH at the beginning, but I can't give them the word church because we've never talked about UR in the middle or chirp. We've never talked about IR. So some of those really great words that they might know the meaning of or could easily know the meaning of, they're great and wonderful, but they don't, my students wouldn't be able to decode those words for other reasons. So I like to also introduce that magic E or a CBC E word, depending on what you call it. Um, but I like to do that early on so that then we have just more words in our repertoire or more graphemes in our repertoire to spell other words. Now, that being said, we know that there are obviously exceptions. We know there are different things that just because you know the silent E doesn't mean we can spell every long vowel sound, but start with that most, most common and work your way to least common. Kind of building on that is tip number three. And you need to have a real, a serious, a important conversation with your students about how, yes, there are rules and there are exceptions though. And one of those big exceptions are homophones. Homophones are so, so difficult for students and is something that honestly, when they're a little older, they can sometimes grasp that there are differences in those words and therefore they are spelled differently. But let's say I am working with my blends and diagraphs kids on spelling the word male. Well, they know how to spell male, M-A-L-E, because we're working on magic E. That's likely how they would go to spelling that word. However, for kids maybe actually working on vowel teams, it's important for them to understand that there are two ways to spell male. And listening to the phonemes, you're not really going to know. There's not a rule that's going to help you know. 
Do I use male as an A consonant E? Or do I use AI like the mail it has been delivered to my house? We don't know unless we actually know the meaning and the way in which that word is used. So homophones are something that I don't think you have to expect them to master and understand it completely, but they do need to be aware of it. So when they use or they see the opposite word, then you can have a conversation about it. Well, remember, one of our things that we know is those homophones, man, they really, they mess with us sometimes and they can throw us off. And then it's not like, ah, I really screwed up that spelling rule. No, remember, remember those homophones, they get us. So I think some knowledge and some instruction and some just real honest discussion is important for your kids for later. Even if initially they're like, what the heck is she talking about? A homophone, you know, in time as it appears, then they'll be able to kind of see that in real life. But knowing that homophones are out there, pale and pale, things like that really are important for them to know and to be aware of. Tip number four really comes down to whenever you're introducing a vowel team, teach your students if it likes to come before or after specific letters. So think about AI, for example. AI, if you were to sit and make a list of words that come to mind that have AI in them, a lot of times, remember, there are always exceptions, there are always other things, but they a lot of times like to have the letter N or the letter L behind them. So while that's not a hard and fast rule and there are definitely times when that doesn't apply, you could also show them a lot of words where that does apply and where you can rely a little bit on that rule. Now, going back to homophones, those could throw a potential kink in that. But if they're at least aware that, you know, AI really likes to go within, like in paint or main or some of those types of things, then you can, they can really start to make some generalizations or make some decisions based on an educated guess when they're actually spelling a word. And so for me, I think it's important to just let students know some of those rules if and when you know them. My last little nugget of information that I would like to share with you about teaching vowel teams is to never introduce two vowel teams together that appear at the same spot of the word. For example, if I were teaching my students the long O sound of OE like in toe, and O-W like in snow, I would not teach those at the same time. Instead, I might pair like O-A, like boat, with toe because those would not come at the same position of a word. So although at some point in their life, they're gonna have to see both of them, when you are initially introducing one of them, I wouldn't do them at the same time. Now, sometimes later down the road, I will have them look at words, never in like a word sort format, but rather as a discussion, as an acknowledgement, knowing that, yes, there are two ways and it might be at the end of a word, just like kind of at the same, the same thought with that. O consonant E, like in cone or bone, I wouldn't teach that at the same time as boat to the OA sound because they fall in, usually in the middle of a word. 
So it's not fair to students to throw it all at them at once. So don't try to teach that to them all at the same time. Do one that is at the middle and one that's at the end of a word or one that might be at the beginning of the word, but don't do them in the same position so that your students can really see the differences. Now, after they've been at it for a while, after they're very familiar with the different graphemes, then you can start to dive into all the other rules, all the other exceptions, all the like, well, what if this or only if that, then you can start to dive into that. But give them some time to just digest and be introduced in a way that isn't confusing to them. Now, vowels are very confusing. I feel like there are many, many things that just make vowels intimidating, but just dive in. Start teaching your students different vowel teams in an order that makes sense. Spiral, review the heck out of those. Continue to see them both in text and in spelling so that they're really starting to understand the differences and that they know two or three ways to make that long O sound or that long I sound. So just constantly be exposing your students and giving them opportunities to have to match a grapheme to a long vowel phoneme. Now we're going to switch gears and talk a little bit about syllables, which I will be very honest. Um, my third graders, I do have one high group of third graders, and we are just now at this point of the school year starting to dive into syllables. But that's still something that for them, they've just been working on mastering a lot of vowel teams. They haven't quite been ready for that until more recently. And some of that too, I think is even just their development, their maturity, they're finally ready for syllables. And the good news is that they already understand a couple of them because we've had some vowel teams that are in there already that they've already been taught that kind of just play right into a good introduction of different syllable types. Now, in the book, Making Sense of Phonics, The Hows and the Whys, um, they talk a lot about decoding phon or decoding multisyllabic words. And so in this, they give a three-step process for decoding words, which is step number one, you need to analyze it where you're going to divide, you know, that word into syllables. And then you're going to think about pronunciation where you're going to tell how to produce those individual syllables and then synthesis. You're going to have to combine it all together to create a spoken word. And that's all well and good for decoding, but what the heck do we do for spelling? Well, in my mind, spelling is the same three steps, only backwards. So step number one for spelling a multisyllabic word using their framework with my spelling interpretation of that is synthesis. They first have to be ready to start breaking that word into syllables so that now I know, okay, I don't have to worry about syllable number two and three. I only need to figure out what are the spelling rules that go with syllable number one. So first they have to be able to synthesize it and break it into pieces so that it's then a little more manageable. Step number two then is pronunciation. So just like whenever we talked um, early on about spelling simple words and how I said, really, you know, think about it. It's a two-step process. We have to be able to say the phonemes and then we have to match graphemes to them. In my mind, that's pronunciation here. We have to be able to say what's there, say one syllable at a time. 
how do you say those so that then in step number one, you can put, which is analysis, then you can start to analyze, okay, well, this is an open syllable. It's going to be a long vowel. So I need, maybe I just need A. Maybe I just need, you know, an O. This is kind of how that's going to work. Oh, this is an IR. So really, they need to do kind of the whole process backwards. First, start breaking that word into syllables. That's what they have to be able to do first. Step number two, they need to, now that I am only focusing on this one part, table, Tay, okay, tay, how would I spell tay? Then bull, how would I spell bull? All they have to do is to be able to break it into parts, focus on one part at a time, and then start using what they know about graphemes to start matching up the graphemes to the phonemes that they're hearing in that one syllable. When I think back to elementary school and I think about learning syllables, I remember mostly either clapping syllables or putting my hand under my chin and counting how many syllables were in a word. And that's like literally all I remember. That's all I remember about syllables. I don't think I knew how syllables were going to help me. I don't remember learning that there were different types of syllables and that then there were different rules and different ways in which you would see, you know, things in a word. and. Maybe it was taught, like, have you seen that meme? I see it on Facebook and I think of a cousin that I have all the time because she's like, I wasn't taught that. I wasn't taught that. Nobody ever told me. And it's like, well, yeah, we learned it. You were talking. So maybe that's the case. Maybe this was explicitly taught, but I was talking. I don't know. But I just don't remember ever learning or talking about syllable types at the elementary level. Not really until I was more training later as a teacher in Orton-Gillingham training. I'm learning about syllable types and my mind is blown and I that's embarrassing to me. That's like, how, how do you know how to spell words or how are you asking kids to find the number of syllables if you don't even know the reason or the why we're doing that? I also remember about four years ago or so, I was giving a third grade reading test and it was asking to divide the words into syllables or, you know, like option A, it would be divided one way. Option B, it would be divided another way. Option C, it'd be divided in another way. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, how do they know this? I don't know this. How do I know like whenever I'm, you know, clapping these sounds, I'm hearing one thing but then it could totally be divided up this way or this way because they say nearly the same thing. And I honestly had no idea how those words should have been divided up at that time. So here's what I think is happening. As we are using textbook curriculum or textbook spelling, we're given these word lists that sometimes even we as teachers don't have enough instruction or enough knowledge to really pick apart and teach our kids the skill, we're just memorizing 20 words. And so some of that, sometimes it's because it's overwhelming and we just don't know that information. We're not aware of all the syllable types and how to teach them and when to teach them and why. And then other times it's because in one week we have so many things to do that is it realistic to get through every single page that your reading curriculum gives to you in a week? Well, no. 
Well, what do you scrap? Well, maybe it's spelling because the kids can write the words three times for homework and they can write them in cursive the next day. You know, they could do a word search the next day, which none of those things are bad, not at all. But we haven't really taught them the syllable type. We taught them to memorize words. Maybe I am totally completely wrong and maybe teachers are doing that. And then because I was the word memorizer for the test, maybe, maybe I just didn't learn that. But what I'm afraid is happening is that the textbook company or whatever reading curriculum you're using, I'm saying textbook because I feel like a lot of us are using a basil, um, but maybe I'm wrong. I, it's not a slam on textbooks, I promise, but there is some strategy behind the words that are chosen. Maybe they all have two closed syllables. Maybe then the next week it's one closed syllable with a CVCE syllable. Maybe it's a bossy R with a closed syllable or whatever. There's probably some strategy. There's probably some method to the madness as to why those words were chosen. But if we don't know it or we don't see it or we don't know those syllable types well enough, then how in the heck are we supposed to help our kids know and understand syllables, much less how do we apply some of those vowel rules to some of these more complicated words, things with two, three, four syllables. And it's at this point that I feel like, man, we need to put, press the pause button, and we need to talk, instead of just all kinds of information and all kinds of words, let's talk about the order. Let's talk about when, where, how, why, what do I do with all of this information? So we know a lot about phonemes and graphemes, we kind of can make sense of what kids should learn and what sequence makes sense. But then when do we start throwing or how do we start throwing some of those syllable types in there for our students? So I want to share kind of the order in which I um, am making my way with my students. And hopefully you find that valuable. I'm going to include this in the show notes too, a little bit of that order and what I do. Um, you might have students who might be ready for um, some things earlier than others, but this is what I do, or this is how I approach syllabication. I begin with closed syllables. To me, that is the easiest. Um, your students who are reading CVC words or a lot of blends and diagraphs, whether they know it or not, they are reading words that are closed syllables. You may not address it early on. You may not use those words specifically, but that is what they're doing. They are reading words with closed syllables. That's what a CVC word is. And in a closed syllable, your vowel is going to be short. There's something that closes it off. There's something that kind of closes that door and makes the vowel make a short vowel sound. Then later, maybe as students are working on vowel teams, where now they're going to start seeing long vowels. How do I know if I use this vowel team or that vowel team? Well, a lot of times that depends on where it's at in the word. Well, words like toe or pie have a long vowel and they use a vowel team. And that vowel sound happens to come at the end of a word or at the end of a syllable. So at that time, it's okay to begin introducing an open syllable. So if they've been reading CBC words, they've been reading blends and diagraphs, they've already been introduced to a closed syllable. They've already kind of been there, done that, whether they know the terminology or not, they understand the idea and the concept of that short vowel sound. 
So it's okay to begin throwing in, oh, this is an open syllable. It's open and we hear that vowel say its name because really that's the only difference. Now, you could obviously with multisyllabic words get into more detailed open syllables. It definitely gets more complicated the more syllables you throw in that word. But to keep it simple, when they're learning to spell a lot of those graphemes or learning to master those graphemes, you can talk about open and closed syllables easily. You can throw those in to what you're doing every single day. I like to spend my early time with my kids really focusing on graphemes. So while I might use those words, open and close syllables, I'm not diving really deep. We're mastering graphemes because my goal would be when we start moving on to words with multiple syllables, they know the graphemes. They've been exposed. Now, maybe they need a reminder about, oh, I think there's another way to say that long O sound or, oh, isn't there another way? You know, that would, that's okay. That's acceptable to me but you don't want to start diving into um, the R-controlled syllable if they haven't had R-controlled spelling words and, and kind of reach that level of mastery. So for me, I focus a lot on CVC words early on, blends and diagraphs early on because those are closed syllables. Then we'll move into some vowel teams where they're one-syllable words, and they mostly are either open or closed, depending on where that vowel comes into our word. But even with those vowel teams, because they're only one syllable, we're not actually talking about the vowel team syllable type, even though that's totally what they're doing. They just don't really know. They don't have that knowledge and information yet. So then once we've mastered that, then we start beginning to dive into actually separating these words into syllables. Okay, so now we have a two syllable word and I like to start with just simple, simple things, a CVC closed syllable, and then move into maybe an open and a closed syllable, a word with maybe five to six letters. It's simple, it's easy. They can really start seeing the difference between an open and a closed syllable when it all appears in one word instead of, oh, I've been spelling simple words like my or toe or things like that that only have a handful of letters. Start slow and let them really dive into maybe a two syllable word with five to six letters. To me, that's the easiest way to give them the opportunity to start seeing, oh, so that's why in a cabin, the A is short, but in table, this, you know, it's long or, or whatever. So you can really start to dive into why do we say a short vowel sound in some cases? Why do we say a long vowel sound in other cases? Because they're working on that open and closed syllable type. Later, you can move on to magic E. And for a lot of our kids who have been through all of those vowel teams, these magic E's are easy to them. They can spell a magic E word very, very simply. They typically know that that's the most common way to spell that long vowel sound. So they're usually pretty good at that. Now it's just starting to see, oh, whoa, I'm not just spelling the word take, I'm spelling the word mistake. Or I'm not just spelling the word cake, which is so simple, I'm spelling the word cupcake. 
or I'm not spelling the word cape, I'm spelling the word escape. So things like that, that they've been doing probably for years, but now we're just adding another layer to it. Okay, so that's a magic E syllable, but what is that first part? Is that an open syllable? Is that a closed syllable? What do I know about that word that is going to help me match those graphemes to the phoneme that I'm hearing or that I'm saying in that one part of the word. So our kids are definitely capable of this if they have mastered a lot of those phonemes and graphemes. We just have to give them the opportunity and take it at a nice, slow and steady pace so that they can really start understanding the different syllable types. Now, after you've spent a few weeks working on all of those magic E's and you feel like your kids have a good understanding of starting to see open and close, starting to see that magic E come into play and they're familiar with those first three types, then you can start throwing in vowel teams. Now for me, vowel teams are big. For some of my kids, we've spent a whole year just working on mastering all of those graphemes so that they can spell words with vowel teams. So for me now, spending several weeks really reviewing and talking about not only the syllable type, but oh, well, how can we say the long O sound? How can we spell the long A sound? Where is that vowel team in the word? Is it an open syllable where we might have some of those ending like O-E or I-E or a Y? Or is it in the middle of a word where, you know, then we're going to have like E-E or E-A or O-A, you know, talking about now how does all of that information that maybe we spent a whole year working on last year, how does that all come together when we're talking about now we have a two syllable word? Now we have a three syllable word. What does that look like? So taking some time to do a lot of, in my mind, spiral review, you're not just working on the syllables. Now you're reviewing all of those graphemes and where the heck do they go in some of these syllables? And then kind of a smooth transition next is the bossy R syllable. For a lot of my kids, bossy R seems so much easier than a lot of those vowel teams. So take some time, a few weeks, talk about where those bossy R's fall in a word. We know that that ER and IR and UR, those are so hard on some of our kids. And so again, it's a good time to, yes, practice the syllable, but also throw some spiral review in how do we and when do we use each of those various bossy R sounds. After working on bossy R, then you can go into diphthongs. There's a diphthong syllable where all of those other things like O-I and O-Y and things that our kids have practiced in a one syllable word, now they can start to see how does something like cowboy, those are two diphthongs, now it's all together in one word. And so they can really start to see how all of these work together. And again, just because you're working on a two syllable word and one of them is a diphthong syllable, you're also working on all of those other types of syllables that have come before. So you might have a diphthong syllable followed by a magic E syllable, all to make up that two syllable word. So I love syllables because it's a great time to really spiral review over and over. The things that we've learned, they're not going away. They're always actively popping up because these syllable types are so intermingled depending on the word. And last, the consonant 
L-E syllable. So these are things like candle with a D-L-E or bugle with a G-L-E, puzzle with a Z-L-E, things like that, that really after all of the work you have done with syllables, this is an easy one. It's also very easy to spot and identify. So usually that's kind of how I wrap things up. Also, I think that that um, like D-L-E, C-L-E, those types of syllables are often hard if I throw them in too early because kids don't need if they need a double, they don't know if they need a double letter or if it's just the D-L-E. You know, is it puddle with a D-D-L-E or is it candle with a just the D-L-E because you have can before. So they need to know, is it an open, a close? They need lots of practice knowing and understanding syllables so that then they can really understand that consonant L-E. So that kind of wraps up all of the syllables and gives your kids a good opportunity to really practice splitting up words into syllables and knowing which grapheme goes with which phoneme because of where it falls in the word or in the syllable. Now, in my opinion, syllables are tricky, they're hard, and they're time consuming. And students benefit most when they have lots and lots of practice and spiral review and exposure to those. You can't talk about it once and leave it. You can't throw a new spelling list at them and really it has a particular pattern, but never spend time discussing it. And as I've said before, I think that's part of the problem with, say, your list from your textbook. There probably is a method to the madness of those words that were chosen, but if we don't know it or we don't spend time talking about it, then it's honestly for nothing. It doesn't do your kids any good to memorize those words because the actual syllable type or the goal of that spelling list with that phoneme or grapheme, they never transfer into something that we know and we understand. So while syllables can be intimidating, dive in, try to practice it, try to see what you can do or how, how you understand syllables and take it one syllable type at a time. Get really good at something like juggling, one or two, open and closed, you're doing good, you're doing good, throw in a magic E. You're doing good with those three, you're doing good with those three, now throw in vowel teams. So you don't have to master all seven types at one time. You don't have to have a good understanding of all of them on day one when you start talking and teaching syllables. But have a really good understanding of kind of how they're going to flow from start to finish. How you can start talking to your lower level readers or your decoders at that point working on CVC and blends and digraphs. How can you start laying some groundwork so that whenever you do start talking about multiple syllables, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, we've, we've heard these terms. We kind of understand how that works. I know more than just clapping syllables or just tapping to see how many syllables are in a word or just counting vowels. I've, I've seen that too. So syllables can be overwhelming and complex, but we can tackle it one step at a time. Earlier in the episode, I told you that I would leave you a link in the show notes so that you could print a guide with some of those phonemes and graphemes and spelling rules and that kind of thing so that you would know the who, what, when, where of vowels as well as other phonemes. But I've also included some syllable posters so that you can print and use those, whether it be you're giving them to students, you're displaying them in your room, a combination of the two 
so that you always have a reminder of the syllable types. And my hope is that whether you know none of this information, all of this is new and overwhelming to you, or whether you know some of it, having some printable things to have on your clipboard at your table or to just have at your um, disposal will make things easier for you to understand and for you to help your kids because these are two really hard, difficult topics for your students to know and to master and feel confident in. And even you as a teacher, for you to feel confident in teaching some of those things. So make sure you check out the show notes and I will see you in the next episode where we will be talking all about morphemes. So I will see you next week. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the Resource Room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.